So Galatians 6 and verses 6 through 10. Um, so this is the scripture Paul is writing and he says this, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, before I get, we're going to walk through these verses uh, this morning, but before I do, I want to make sure we understand uh, it's a short passage. Uh, a couple of really well-known scriptures in there. Uh, but I first want to make sure that we understand what's at stake in this passage, that we don't undersell it. Sometimes you may look at a passage like today and undersell it, and I, don't, I want to make sure that we don't uh, do that. So I want to start with the question, what is the, what is the worst enemy of enthusiasm, would you say? When you're enthusiastic about something, you're enthusiastic about a new job, you're enthusiastic about uh, a new dress or a new gun or a new fishing pole what's the worst enemy of enthusiasm discouragement discouragement somebody else what's what what causes what causes enthusiasm for example I, I probably wouldn't get discouraged with a fishing pole but what makes me eventually right. want another one right. selfishness selfishness no y'all going too deep huh you get tired, you get tired of it it's just in other words in one word just time right isn't that, isn't that, I mean, think about it. Um, the, the worst enemy of enthusiasm is just time. Uh, we have this remarkable, yet it's kind of sad, uh, ability for getting tired of good things. Do we not? Um, I mean, how many of you go in your closet and you look and you think, holy cow, I mean, this is ridiculous. None of these, even, not, you know, I, I wore that, I wore that. You just need something new. Um, you know, it's like you go to, on vacation and you get there and that first day the sunset is like, man, I've never seen anything like this. And at the end of the week, you don't even notice it anymore, do you? I mean, it, it, things, they just uh, get, get old hat pretty quick. Um, and that happens to uh, all of us, right? It doesn't, like I said, it can be a new shotgun or a new dress. Eventually, you just, you just go tired of it and you think you got to have something else. Now, just like vacationers get tired of sunsets, and we get tired of, of the things that we have. People get tired of doing good. That's just the way it is in life. You get tired of doing good. You know, when you started out, maybe in that Bible study, you were all excited. You know, when you started out, maybe thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new uh, time in my life. I'm going to get up every morning, and I'm going to read through whatever book of the Bible. And you start doing that, and you're journaling and taking notes, and boy, you're all excited about it. Guess what happens after about 30 days or 60 days? It gets old. Man, am I ever going to get the end of this book and start another one, right? I mean, it just, that's the way it is. The thrill leaves us. Um, and what happens is you grow weary of well-doing. Just like you grow weary of, uh, of things that you possess, you grow weary of well-doing. Now, what I'm about to say may be a little controversial, but I want you to listen very closely and let it sink in. What is at stake in today's passage? And by, and, and by the way, Paul says, do not grow weary in what? Well-doing or doing good. What is at stake in today's passage is not just how you're going to live the rest of your life. What's at stake in today's passage is not what we would just call sanctification or becoming more like Christ. By the way, what's at stake in today's passage is not even the fact that I'm going to do, don't grow weary in well-doing so you'll get rewards for it. Okay? What is at stake in today's passage is your eternal salvation. Now, I want to make sure we understand that this isn't just about getting rewards. It isn't just about sanctification. What is at stake is your eternal salvation. Listen to how the thought moves from verse 8 to verse 9. Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will we'll reap if we do not give up. So what will we reap if we don't give up? What does that passage say? 
Eternal life. That's exactly right. In other words, what will we reap if we do give up? Corruption. Corruption, judgment, hell. That's what he's talking about, right? Now, by the way, what are what is he saying don't give up? Doing good. Doing good. Everybody see that? See, what's at stake here is not just I'm going to get some rewards or I may not get rewards. No, he's saying what's at stake is your eternal destiny, whether you give up or not. Everybody see that? So this is not, I want to make sure we understand the, the gravity of this passage today. This is a big deal about whether you give up doing good or not. It's not just about, hey, I, I maybe I, this person's done a lot of good, they're going to get more rewards than I am. No, he's saying, look, if you, if you give up, what's at stake is, is your eternal salvation. In other words, what Paul is saying, if you don't give up sowing to the Spirit, if you don't give up, if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you're going to reap eternal life. But if you do give up doing good, then, he, then you're going to reap the opposite. You're going to reap death, corruption, and hell. In other words, what he's saying in today's passage, in some way or another, and we're going to talk about this, so don't get too up in arms about it, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, in some way it has something to do with whether you grow weary in well-doing. Everybody with me? I mean, that's, that's very clearly. Now, I want you to understand something. This admonition not to give up, this isn't just Paul. This isn't a, a one-time thing where Paul says, don't give up. This is all over the Bible. And in fact, the, whole, the same thing, don't give up if you want to go to heaven. Look what Jesus said in Mark 13, 13. He says, you'll be hated for all by my namesake, but the one who endures to the end, what? Will be saved. What, is it, what does that mean? The one who doesn't endure to the end, what? Will not be saved. That's the inference, right? You want to be saved? You have to last all the way to the end. You can't give up. James 1.22, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. What does that mean for the person who doesn't stand the test? They, they won't, right? Uh, Hebrews 10.36, You have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. In other words, you need endurance. You have to endure. You'd have, you can't give up. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10-17, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, again, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand, stand, stand. That's just, it's just another way of saying keep on, enduring, pass the test, keep moving on. Second uh, Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. In other words, I what? I didn't give up. Right? I didn't quit, I didn't stop, I didn't grow weary of well-doing, I kept on. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay? Over and over and over and over again, you see it from James, you see it from Peter, you see it from Paul, you see it from, from Jesus. Uh, Paul says, if we endure, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. This is what uh, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. Now listen to this. Hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. That's Jesus himself. He also says this, The one who conquers will be clothed with white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So I just, I just picked a few of them. But I want you to understand that this idea of lasting to the end, of enduring, of not quitting, is not just Paul in one passage of Scripture, but it's taught over and over and over and over again that if you want to make it to heaven, you have to endure. You have to keep on keeping on. You cannot stop. You cannot quit. You can't say, you know what, I was saved when I was 17. I've lived the Christian life here for, for 30 years and or 30 plus years, I'm 50. You know what? I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life. I, I, I got things I need, I want places I want to go, people I want to see, things I want to do. I'm not going to. No. The Bible doesn't say that at all. You don't just. You, you can't quit. You endure to the end. Now, let me say this, just so we're all clear. I believe with all my heart in, it, what, in what's called eternal salvation. I, what I mean by that is if you're truly saved, 
you cannot and will not quit. Everybody with me? I believe that with all my heart. Now, why do I believe it? Well, because that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, John 6, 40, Jesus said, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should what? Is that some of them? Most of them? No, what does He say is the will of God? Everyone who looks on the Son and believes should have eternal life, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Um, Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I am sure of this. If you go back and look at that Greek word, Paul said, I've got the utmost confidence in, uh, you know, the, about the most confidence you can. It's a really, really strong Greek word that says, I am absolutely, positively sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ or will finish it. In other words, so I, I believe if you're truly saved, you will not stop. You will keep going, okay? Now, that means, by the way, that those that do fall away who do not endure to the end, give evidence that they were never saved. Look at um, 1 John 2, 19. Paul, um, John says this, They went out from us. That means they left us. They quit. They, they, they stopped doing good. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had been real Christians, if they had been truly saved, John says what? They would have stayed. Same thing he's saying about Jesus, uh, that Jesus said. Uh, it's the will of God. They would have stayed. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Okay? So I believe if you're truly saved, you will not quit. You will endure to the end. And I also believe if you quit, that just means you were never truly saved. You were doing it on discipline. You were doing it on emotion. But the Holy Spirit wasn't inside of you. It wasn't really there. Okay, now... We're talking about, when we talk about all this endurance, though, doesn't it make it sound like our salvation depends on who? Us. It absolutely, when you start saying, man, you need to, you don't quit, don't quit, it almost sounds like I'm putting it on, on you, that it's up to you to endure to the end. Now, we know, of course, that that's not true. How do we know that? Well, if you've been in Galatians, you know absolutely it's, it's not true. In fact, our salvation is not based on works. What is it based on? It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. It's based on His grace and His mercy. We know that we're saved by grace, born again by the mercy of God. And at that moment of salvation, you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit who is the seal. By the way, the Bible calls Him the, what, the seal of our inheritance. There's another word. You know what that word is they call Him? The guarantee of our inheritance. See, if you're really saved and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says He is the guarantee of your inheritance. Let me tell you, you, nobody in here can guarantee anything, but can I tell you that when God guarantees it, it's a done deal? He doesn't speak lightly. When He said this is guaranteed, can I tell you, that means it's going to happen. You will receive your inheritance. At that moment, we crucify the flesh, we hook up to the locomotive of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit then leads us through life and produces in us what the law requires. In other words, we're saved by Him and we remain saved how? Through Him. That's exactly right. He's doing all the work. He's producing in us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. He's doing all those things. He's producing the fruit. Like Paul says, by the grace of God, I am uh, what I am. But now here's a question. And that is this, how does the Holy Spirit produce the fruit in us? Or, uh, put it another way, how does the Holy Spirit make sure that we endure to the end? How does He bring us to eternal life? So what I've told you is, I believe that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit inhabits you. He, is, he dwells within you. And He begins to, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. Okay? Um... Now, the question is, how does he do that? Does he, just, does he just wave a magic wand over you and it just happens and you don't really need to do anything? In other words, how does he bring us from the point of salvation to eternal life? How does he do it? I think some of us are obedient through our faith. Okay, through our faith, through our obedience. Obedience to what? The Word of God. The Word of God. Yeah. That's exactly right. You see... 
the way that the Holy Spirit makes sure that we endure is he does it through the Word of God. He, he admonishes us how? Through the Word of God. He, he encourages us how? Through the Word of God. He, he prunes us. He, he disciplines us through the Word of God. You see, Jesus said this, and we studied this back in John, John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Right? Remember we talked about that? By the way, who was he saying it to? The Jews who had what? Profess. Profess. We believe in you. What does he turn around and say? Okay, you believe in me? Let me give you something. If you stay in my word, then you're really my disciples. If you don't, by the way, the opposite of that is if you don't stay in my word, you're what? You're not really my disciples. In other words, you believed with your head, but the Holy Spirit never came into your heart. See, if the word rules your life, you are his disciple. And by the way, the converse of that, if you're his disciple, what? The word will rule your life. It's just two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. If you're really his disciple, you're going to love this word. And if you love this word, it shows that you are really his, his disciple. Therefore, here's what I want you to see. Texts like today's in Galatians, they're not just, well, that's a neat, that's nice. No, it's, it, the re, this text is written to bring you to eternal life. It's one of it's a this text and all of texts are the divinely appointed means of causing God's children to persevere to the end in well doing. In other words, how does one of the ways that, that the Holy Spirit makes sure that Ron will make it to the end? He writes a passage that says, "Don't grow weary in well doing," and he makes sure that on December the what is today the thirteenth, thirteenth, that Ron is sitting in a class where a teacher tells him, don't grow weary in well-doing. And Ron, the Holy Spirit, takes that passage and drives it in, and Ron walks out of here and says, you know what, I'm going to keep going. Everybody with me? I mean, this, this is a big deal, what we're doing here today. It's not just, man, I did my duty, I came in. No, it, it is the way that the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't know the right analogy, winds you up. or he, he, it, It's something that he, he uses. It's this word, it's this word, it's this word. Every Bible study we sit in, every tape we listen to, every ser sermon that we listen to, the Holy Spirit's using this word to say, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. It's the way we keep going. That's why it scares me to death when I see people who say they're Christians, but they don't love the word. You see why? Because they're not hearing these. They're not hearing it. They're not here to hear it. Because the Holy, this is the way the Holy Spirit chooses to do it. We are washed by the what? By the Word. Jesus told His disciples, He says, You are clean because of the Word that I've spoken to you. He uses the Word. And so when you don't love the Word, you don't, you're, not, you know, you're not making every uh, effort to hear the Word and trust the Word. It, it's, that's a scary proposition. So that's why I want you to make sure you understand what's it. This is not just, man, this is a nice little passage. No, this is the way we keep going. It's the way that he brings us to eternal life. So my goal in this class is to always be a faithful teacher of God's word. Um, and, and, but here's the thing. I don't see how I could be faithful to this text and not tell you that if you grow weary in well-doing and you lose heart, you will not reap eternal life. Okay, let me say that again. If you grow weary in well-doing and you lose heart, this passage says you will not reap eternal life. If you forsake the Spirit and rely on the flesh, you will reap corruption. Everybody see? That's what's at stake here in this passage today. It's not just, man, this is a nice little passage and, and you walk out of here and forget about it. It means something. It, it matters. Now, let's go back and let's follow Paul's thought through these few verses as it starts in verse 6. So Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. Now remember, in verse 2, he said, bear one another's burdens. Okay? Now, verse 6 is going to give us another example of bearing someone's burdens, and that is the financial burden of Christian teachers. So this is what he says in verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. 
Okay, so remember in verse 2, he said, you need to bear one another's burdens. This is a way that you bear. Paul chooses an example. Now, we're going to talk about this in a second. Why did he choose this? There's a, how many ways are there that we can bear one another's burdens? There's a lot, right? I mean, there's a tons of ways. Paul chooses one example to give you. And he chooses money. And we'll explain here why in just a minute, why I think he chooses money. He says, let him who has taught the word... Share all good things with him who teaches. Now, let me just say right now, I don't want your money. Okay? I don't need your money. Don't want your money. And I'll talk about that here in just a second. So let's just get that on out of the way. Because y'all thinking right now, where's he going? What's he going? Are we going to have to give him some money? Y'all already thinking about how much money I got in my wallet? It's not about that at all. I don't want your money. So it says this. Let him who is taught share the word, uh, or, or taught the word, share all good things with him who teaches. So one way that we share the burdens of those who carry major responsibilities of teaching in the church is to support them financially so that they can be free for prayer and study. Now, again, we're not making this up. Paul said this 2,000 years ago, and it's still relevant today. Now, evidently, in Galatia, there was some problem with this. All right? I'm sure when, when, when Paul originally preached through there and started the churches, he said, look... These are your elders. You need to support them financially, okay? Because they're taking time out of their schedule, out of their work to, to, to give to prayer and to study and to ministry. You need to help offset that. You need to help that. Well, somehow or another, when Paul left, something has happened. Now, maybe they made a good start, but as we talked about earlier, maybe they got tired of it. You know, they were giving that money every month. Listen, I know when you give money every month, every month you look at that money and think, boy... If I had this money, what could I do? That thought's there. I could make this payment. I could do that. Listen, they were no different 2,000 years ago. Maybe they started out good and they got tired of it. Maybe they thought, you know what? We're free in Christ. I'm going to heaven because I'm saved by grace. It doesn't really matter if I give or don't give. Maybe I don't have to give, right? Maybe they thought, man, who needs teaching anyway? We know enough of the truth. We know who we are in Christ. Money's... Money's scarce. These Romans are taxing us left and right. We need our money, you know. Um, we don't really know what they were saying, but we do know, here's the deal, out of all the burdens Paul could have mentioned, out of all the different examples he could have chosen, he chose to this one. He chose the, to mention the material and financial burdens of those who teach God's Word. Now, First of all, Paul's not making this up. I want you to understand he learned this principle directly from Jesus himself. In fact, you're going to see something here in a second. Jesus, you remember when Jesus sent out the 70? Remember he had the 70 and he sends them out two by two? And he told them, he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Don't take any food. Um, he said, when you get out there and start ministering, the people will take care of you. In fact, he said this. He said, when you go into someone's house, he said, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. By the way, those are the words of Jesus. Everybody see that? what I underlined there? The worker deserves his wages. So Jesus said, you don't, when you go out there and you're ministering in towns and somebody invites you into a house, stay in the house, eat what they give you, drink what they give you, and he said, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. i got to pay them back because the worker deserves his wages. <coughs> now, a few years later, Paul would write to Timothy, and this is what he says. He says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And he quotes Jesus himself. That's why I put that in red. He says, The worker... Everybody see that? Those are, those are the words of Jesus. The worker deserves his wages... Paul quotes Jesus here. He says the worker deserves his wages. So he, Paul is not getting this concept of the church supporting its leaders, just pulling it out of the air. He's getting it from Jesus himself, right? Later on in his letter to the Corinthians, he says this, if we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? Okay? So early in the church, there was this idea that you had elders who, who devoted themselves to teaching and preaching and prayer and ministry. And the idea was that these, these, the people that are being ministered to would support them. Uh, by the way, it didn't necessarily have to be money. It could have been food. 
could have been clothes. It could have been uh, going by their house and helping them do, who knows? It, by, it says withhold your goods, right? So it could have been a myriad uh, of different things. Now, here's my question this morning. Out of all the things Paul could have talked about, sowing, right? Because let's face it, when it comes to sowing into somebody's life, there's a million ways to do it, is it not? Um, you could go pick them up and take them to lunch and encourage them. That's sowing into somebody's life, right? That didn't cost you, maybe, you know, maybe it cost you, you know, 10 bucks for a meal. Out of all the things that he could have chosen, why would he pick money? Okay, it's, what'd you say? The hardest to get and the hardest to give. Okay, it's, it's, it's the hardest to get and the hardest to give. <laughs> Somebody else, why would, he, why would he pick money? It's a real one thing that stands in our way of drawing near to God. Okay, it's one thing. I think there's, I see in this, I think about five reasons. And I'm gonna, the, the fifth one is the one I really want to get to. But I'll give you five reasons why he did. First of all, why does he pick, the, not only money, but why does he pick this example of, 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 of people in the church supporting their leaders financially? I think there's five reasons. Number one is this. Teaching the Word of God is essential in the church. Okay? Um, if, if we don't have teaching in the church, then we will not know the Lord as we should. I mean, teaching this Word is... I, I, listen, I've said it before. There, I've, I'm a, I, I've got a job. I've got a career. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. But can I tell you, there's nothing more important that I'll ever do than standing here on Sunday morning and teaching this word. I, I honestly believe that. Because all those other things have, for the most part, temporary benefits in this life. This is eternal. This is absolutely eternal. I might somehow, one Sunday morning, not even knowing it, teach something that's, that plants in somebody's heart and changes their life for eternity. And not only, by the way, when it changes their life, it now it changes their children's life and their grandchildren's life and their great, who knows, right? I mean, this is an awesome thing. What, what, when, when Pastor Henry stands up on Sunday morning, what he's doing is there, there's nothing. The President of the United States doesn't even come close. Doesn't even come close to doing what he's doing. It's not, even, it's not even in the same ballpark. This is incredibly... And so Paul wants us to understand, look guys, what these men are doing is important. Incredibly uh, important. Because we won't know the Lord really who He is without this Word. We've said this before, when God sent Jesus, when the Father sent Jesus, He said, everything i got to say to y'all, this is it. Everything I ever, ever want to say to y'all, here He is. Listen to Him. Watch him, follow him, emulate him. So when we teach the word and we teach about Jesus and who he is and what he is and, and what he says, listen, that's, that's the Father himself showing us who he is. I, by the way, our worship, because we don't know who Jesus really is, our worship will become shallow and our obedience will languish when we don't, we don't, we don't have the whole counsel of God. We need to know the good and the bad. Right? We need to know everything, and that's where we find it is in this Word. So I think Paul wants us to understand that how important the teaching of the Word of God is in the, the church. Number two, he wants us to see that those who carry the main responsibility of teaching need time to study and meditate and pray. Okay, that, That's the thing here. Why would we support them? Could we not agree that it's important? But Paul says not only is it important, but they need time. They need to set aside a time aside from their normal duties of farming or shepherding or, or whatever it is they do. They need time to set aside, right? That's what he's saying. And so they can only do that if you offset the cost for them. So that one of the things that this comes it tells us is not only the teaching of the Bible incredibly important to Paul, but the time to be able to prepare correctly is also very important to Paul. Listen, you know, I don't know if, how many of y'all have taught before, but putting it together a, a, a sermon, putting together a lesson takes time. It takes a lot of time. I mean, when I preach, and I don't do it that often, but when I preach, 
It probably takes me a good, if I sat down and just counted the hours, I bet it takes me a good, I'd say good 8 to 12 hours of time just sitting down, just preparing it. And that's not even the time you go over it. That's just getting it ready. So can you imagine you're trying to do that with a job? You're trying to do that, everybody with me? Again, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. It's got nothing to do, this has nothing to do with me. But what I'm saying is when we have a pastor who has to do that on a week in and week out, they need time. This is, it's not easy to do. It is not easy to do. Okay? So what we want to see is, is, again, it's a great calling. It's an important calling, but it takes a lot of time and effort. And you should never begrudge. I mean, I know Henry look, makes it look easy. Right? He gets up there and he just acts like this is the easiest thing in the world, like he just pulls it out of his back pocket. But you don't. You don't pull stuff out of your back pocket. That, getting up and speaking for 45 minutes, that's the easy part. All the hard work is done behind the scenes. All the prep work is done behind the scenes that nobody sees. And sometimes I think he makes it look so easy, and they make it look so easy that you think, well, that's just, there's no time in that, but there is. There's a lot of time in that, and we should never begrudge them that time. Again, it is the most important calling in the world. Number three, it then follows, Paul <coughs> says, that our pastor teachers should be paid so that they don't have to do this other work to support themselves. Now, that's not always possible. There are times and situations where a pastor may be in a church where that church just doesn't have any money, and that pastor has to be bivocational. That means they have to work a job, make their own money, and, and you know, everybody with me? That, sometimes that happens, and that's understandable. In other cases, men like Paul may reject that right or renounce it. Paul says, absolutely, I have the right, when I'm teaching you, I'm sowing into you spiritually, I have the right to accept things from you materially. But Paul says, I renounce that right. Anybody, anybody know what Paul, when Paul would go into a town and preach, he would go work. What was his job? <laughs> he was a tent maker. He'd go make tents to, to support himself. He never, Paul, Paul, he didn't want to go into town and have anybody say, oh, you're doing it just for the money. That's how important it was. Even though Paul says, I have the right to do that, I'm not going to do it. Because I want you to listen to my message and not get, get pulled aside, okay? By the way, that's what I'm doing today. Is I, I don't know, in, in the modern church, we don't pay our Sunday school teachers, we pay our pastor, right? But just keep in mind, even your Sunday school teachers basically are renouncing that right. They're saying, look, we've got jobs, we don't need your money, don't worry about that, let's support the pastor. That's, that's really what we're saying here today. So again, we should be eager for those who carry the major teaching responsibilities in our churches, and in our case it's Pastor Henry, we ought to be eager to free uh, them up financially. Number four, when you give of your money to support the teaching ministry, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now again, how? What did Paul say? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you bear his burden, when you support him financially, Paul says you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Everybody with me? Okay, you have to go back to the first part of Galatians 6. So again, when we do this thing, when we're giving our money, when we're supporting our teachers, when we're supporting the ministry of the Word, Paul says you're not growing weary in well-doing. In fact, you are laying hold on eternal life. So when Paul says in verse 9 and 10 that, now listen, don't take this out of context. This, you know, One of the things that helps me so much teaching through books <coughs> of the Bible is we always see things in context, don't we? You can't just pull a passage out of context and say, hey, this is what it means. You have to look at this passage in context. In verse 6, somebody read it for me. What does verse 6 say? Somebody? Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instruction. Should share all good things with your teachers, right? And then Paul goes down and says... Don't grow weary in well-doing. What's he talking about when he says that? Supporting the, Supporting the teachers. Everybody with me? Look at the verse in context. 
He says, share all good things and don't grow weary in well-doing. What's he talking about? He's talking about giving your money. Okay, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. Number five, one more reason why Paul pulls this out. Maybe, maybe because it's such a good test of what's really in your heart. Why does he pick money? Why does he pick money? In fact, why does he pick money, giving money to support the teaching of the word? Because it's such a good test of what's really inside of your heart. Let's face it, money. Everybody needs it. Everybody wants it. And in fact, some people even lust after it. Money, in an earthly terms, money buys your food. Money buys your clothes. Money buys your shelter. Money buys your toys. Right? Think about it this way. In earthly terms, money is what feeds you, clothes you, shelters you, and entertains you. Right? That's why there's such a temptation to trust money instead of God. Because money gives you, on earthly terms, everything you need. Food, shelter, clothes, entertainment. Right? So there's such a temptation to trust money instead of trusting God. See, what this scripture does is, is it points us to what are you going to do with your money? What's important to you when it comes to your money? Maybe Paul does that because it's such a good test of what's really in your heart. So let's, trust, let's test ourselves. Do we trust in money or do we trust in God? When we get that paycheck, do we look at that paycheck and say, how can I invest this money in myself? Or how can I invest this money in the kingdom of God? I mean, it's a good test, isn't it? I'm telling you, when it comes to a test of what's really in your heart, look at your money. What are you doing with your money? If you begrudge God the money, that's something that's coming out of your heart, right? Yes or no, folks? Let's talk about that. Verse 7, watch how Paul does this. Now, first when he says, let, let people who are taught support people who teach them, right? That was verse 6. Now, watch what he says in verse 7. By the way, Paul doesn't, Paul's in context here. He's got a, a thought going. He's not just saying, hey, let me throw out this verse. Let me go sit for a couple of days. Oh, let me give you another verse. Everybody with me? He's talking about giving your money. Watch what he says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that is what you're going to reap. Right? He's talking to some people who are not supporting their elders. They're not supporting their pastor. They're not supporting their teacher. And he looks at them and says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you're sowing, that's what you're going to reap. By the way, in context, how were these people mocking God? In context, how are they mocking God? They were not giving their money. You can't take it out of context, folks. See, it should be clear. Evidently, the people who did not want to share their money and goods with the teachers in the churches were in effect mocking God by their actions. They were treating God and His Word with scorn by not supporting the ministry of that Word. And Paul says, if you do that you will deeply regret it because God is not mocked. You say you love God and you say you love the Word, but yet you withhold your money in the support of that Word. Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're okay. You're mocking God when you do that. When you say, I love you, God. I love your Word, but you don't support the teaching and ministry of that Word. Paul says, you're mocking God. Everybody with me? This is context. <coughs> don't be deceived. Now, by the way, why do you think he would say don't be deceived? The reason I think, because there's always a time lapse between sowing and reaping. Right? If you've ever sowed anything in the ground, you go out and you plant something, some seeds, and you go out there, everybody ever done this, right? You go out there every day and you look and there's nothing. Right? The next day, man, where is that stuff? Did it, did it not work? Right, It takes time for what you've sown to come out of the ground. What Paul is saying is don't be deceived. You may be able to deceive yourself for a while that there's no consequences for your greed, but you're dead wrong. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't deceive yourself because right now nothing's happening. You're not giving your money and everything's going along good and you think, man, it's not a big deal. God doesn't really care. 
Don't be deceived. There's always a time lapse between sowing and reaping. You reap to the flesh, he said it's coming. You're going to reap corruption. Don't be deceived because of this, of this time lapse. Your disregard for his word and your use, by the way, of his trust fund for your own personal indulgences. You see, what God has given you everything you have. Everything you have, your job, your life, your breath that's in your body, God has given you. And that money that's sitting in your bank account is His. And Paul says when you use His money for your own personal indulgences, you're extorting from God. You're stealing from Him. Right? And Paul says that will come back to, to haunt you. There's a couple of quick scriptures here. I was thinking about when, when I thought about stealing from God and everything. One was, y'all remember, and, and this, these two happened quickly, right? You, you remember the story of Elisha? If you go back to 2 Kings 5, there's a story. Y'all remember Naaman and the leprosy? And Naaman had leprosy, and uh, the little slave girl said, hey, there's a, there's a man over there that will tell you what to do. And so Naaman goes to Elisha, and Elisha says, go bathe, what did he say, seven times? I don't remember, three times in the, in the Jordan, and he does it. And, uh, and uh, he's, he's, he's healed. And so he offers Elisha all this stuff. He's, he's got money, he's got livestock, he's brought all this stuff with him. And Elisha says, man, I, I don't, we don't want any of that. This, has gotten, this is not a pay-for-play kind of, kind of thing here. So he sends Naaman away, Naaman away. But Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, He's over there thinking, man, Elisha's stupid. He's got this opportunity. So unknowing to Elisha, Gehazi follows Naaman. It says this, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he's brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So he did. He went and, and Naaman saw him coming and said, hey, did, I, did we forget something? And Gehazi's like, yeah, man, my, my master changed his mind. He does want some of your stuff. And Naaman was glad to give it. And Gehazi goes back. And when he goes back, of course, Elisha, you don't mess, Elisha had a vision and saw all this happening. And he said to him, he said, did not, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence as white as snow. You see, there wasn't a whole lot of... He sowed to the flesh, and he immediately reaped from it. There wasn't a, 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 there wasn't a big time gap on this one. But the point is, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's also going to reap. Another one, of course, that we're real familiar with is in Acts 5. And that's Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody remember that, right? They sold the land, and, and they had a certain amount of money. Let's say they had, you know, $1,000. <laughs> And they decided, we're going to go into the disciples and we're going to tell them we sold it for 500 And it's going to make us look really good. It looks like we're giving it all to them, but we're really not. We're keeping part back for ourselves. And so, of course, Ananias goes in and, and does that. And, and Peter says, man, Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And, by, and I love what Peter said. Peter said, man, the land was yours. You didn't have to give it to God. Nobody, nobody, that was your, you know, why did you have to do this? And, of course, Ananias dropped dead. Um, it says this, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the <coughs> apostles' feet. By the way, that was not the problem. Everybody understand that? The problem was not that he brought part of the money. The problem he brought part of the money, but he told them it was everything. That was the problem. He was lying to the Holy Spirit. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? In other words, is this the whole of the money? And she said, yep, that's the price. And Peter said, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of God? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. You see, the, the point here is that the time lapse was pretty short, but the point is they reaped what they sowed. That's the whole point. They reaped what they sowed. Paul says, don't be mocked. Don't, God's not mocked. Don't be deceived. Just because it takes us a little longer, it's not immediate, doesn't mean that it's, that it's not going to happen. We honor God and His Word when we take money, which He has given us, 
which might have brought us some comfort or security or prestige, and we sow it to support the ministry of the Word. But if we think that we'll be more happy by sowing that money on our flesh, then Paul says you are deceived, you mock God, and your greed will come crashing back upon you. You, you will reap what we, what we sow. Now, on verse 8, Paul expands on that a little bit further, and I'm going to speed up here. He says, The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, do not forget what Paul is talking about. Yes, by the way, that passage can cover a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of ways you can sow to the flesh. There's a lot of ways you can sow to the Spirit. But do not forget, Paul is talking about giving your money. Everybody with me? Yes, that can mean a lot of things. But he is talking specifically about supporting the teaching of God's Word, both materially and financially. And he says, whatever you do with that money, you're going to reap. Okay? Um, now, again, I know that might sound like a return to salvation by works. That somehow or another, Paul says, don't grow weary of doing good. In other words, don't grow weary of giving your money to support the ministry of the Word. And if you do, if you do quit, if you do grow tired of it, you're going to reap corruption. That almost sounds like, well, that's works. That's buying your salvation. But see, remember, it's never about the work itself. What's at stake is your attitude to the teaching of God's Word, the motive and intent of your heart. See, what this does is it shows what's inside of you. That's really what it shows. What you do with your money always is like opening up your heart and looking inside to see what's really there. What is really there? See, one person can give a ton of... By the way, one person can give a ton of money to the church. They can support the ministry. And I can tell you for them, it is sin. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, because Paul says whatever is not of faith is sin. If you're giving money to the church so somehow or another you can get credit from God, you're just trying to buy your salvation. That's sin. Everybody with me? There's a lot of people who give a lot of money and got their names on buildings, and at the end of the day, it's going to mean nothing. It will mean absolutely nothing. Because it doesn't come from faith working through love. It comes from a heart that looks to itself for the achievement and expects to be accredited for what it did. If that's what your giving is doing, then you'll never save yourself by works like that. If your giving is coming out of heart that expects to earn something from God... God, that means nothing to him. It means absolutely nothing. Okay? But if you, listen to me, if you love God, and you, then you will love his word, and you will love the teaching of that word. I don't know any plainer way to put that. If you really love God, you will love his word, and you will love the teaching of that word. And by the way, that love for God, and love for his word, and love for the ministry of that word, guess what that is? That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's something that the Holy Spirit producing is in you. So we're not teaching salvation by works when we say that in order to enter final salvation, you have to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We're just saying what Paul says. Y'all hot? I see some people. We're just saying what Paul says, which is all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Here's the thing, and I said this a couple weeks ago when I preached. The thing that seems to be so misunderstood in Christianity today is that genuine conversion to Christ is not just this human act of calling Christ your Savior. There are a lot of people that have walked down an aisle, prayed a prayer, and if you ask them, they'd say, Jesus is my Lord. But the question is, what happened on the inside of you? Is it really true on the inside? Is it not just something you say? Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, give money in your name? And he is going to declare to them, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. My spirit never dwelt inside of you. See, when the spirit comes in, a change happens. Right? We all agree with that. Genuine conversion is a divine act by which the Spirit of God is made to dwell in our heart, giving us a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. And by the way, 
this love for righteousness inside of us results in a change in our attitudes toward money and toward the teaching of God's Word. When you're really saved, when the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, He's going to give you a love for His ministry. He's going to give you a love for His Word. And you're going to want to support it. It's not something you do grudgingly. You're going to want to do it because that becomes the things that you love. I love those things too. Okay? So again, it's all whether you give money or don't give money or how you give money, it's all something that's happening inside of your heart. It's a reflection of the attitudes and actions inside of you. Sowing to the Spirit means recognizing where the Spirit aims to produce fruit for the glory of God and dropping the seed of your resources there. There's no doubt that one of the things Paul is talking about, one of these fruitful fields to produce uh, crops, is supporting pastors and teachers with your money. When you give your offering on a Sunday morning, you put it in that, white el- that little white envelope, there's more there than, than meets the eye. I mean, there's, there, there, you're expressing what's inside of you. Right? You're, 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 by the way, what Paul said, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. So there's a lot going on there. In Galatians 6.10, Paul finishes up and he says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially to those who are a household of faith. When we sow seed, we sow it into the ground, into fertile soil, with the hope that it will produce a crop. Right? If we want corn, we sow Corn. <laughs> If you want okra, you sow okra, right? If you want spiritual blessings, if you want spiritual rewards, then you have to sow to the Spirit. You don't get those things sowing to the flesh. You get those things sowing uh, into... And I think Paul wants us to understand that the Spirit of God is the field in which you work and which you hope will produce your harvest. Um, he said, and one of the ways we sow to the Spirit in context is we sow our money into the ministry of God's Word. We do that by supporting our church. We do that by supporting our pastor. By the way, feel free to support ministries, right? But can I, if, say, if you're going to support outside ministries, can I please ask you, please, please be sure that they're true to the Word of God. Please be. You're, again, Notice what he said. You're supporting the ministry of the word. You're not supporting somebody because you like them. You're not supporting them because they, they're dynamic. You're not supporting them. Everybody with me? You're supporting them because they minister the word of God. If you're going to support somebody, make sure, sure that they are true to the word of God. And if they're not, don't support them. Because that's, um, that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father... We thank you for Galatians 6. We thank you for this, uh, uh, as we draw down to a close of our study in Galatians, we, we just ask you, Lord, if you will, uh, as always, to uh, the Holy Spirit.